0: This is the Gospel City Church Podcast. Our hope is that this message is helpful, encouraging, and even life-changing as you grow to know the person and work of Jesus. Enjoy this message today.
1: Today's scripture passage is found in the book of James, chapter 5, starting at verse 12. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, But let your yes be yes, and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick Then he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins, amen. I'm so grateful uh, that James
0: uh, finishes his letter addressing prayer. Because if you are like me, you've wondered often, how do you pray? Why do we pray? What's the result of prayer? Um, You know, Jesus, he talks about prayer. The way that he teaches us how to pray is in the Greek, he gives us 57 words in the Greek. Uh, It's almost as if we have no idea how to pray. And the ways in which you teach someone a foreign language is you, you teach them the sounds of that language and i think that's kind of what jesus is doing with those 57 words the lord's prayer teaching us this is the content of prayer this is the heart of prayer this is the pattern of prayer Uh, we see uh, with apostle paul he prays uh, for the the people that he's writing to and so as we learn and study uh, paul's letters we learn how to pray for people uh, in that way and what james does Uh, being the practitioner that he is, he's going to first show us why we pray, and then he's going to teach us how we should pray, how to pray effectively, and then lastly, what are the results of prayer. And what James does is he's very practical and shows uh, shows us circumstantially, uh, this is how you pray. In this situation, this is how you pray. So in verse 13, What does he write? Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. But we've seen uh, James address suffering many times. And the way that he addresses suffering this time around is different. This time around he says, if you are suffering, pray. But if you've been following along with this book, and he's talked about suffering and other times, he says, when you suffer, do other things. So for example, in James 1, to uh, 2-4, he says, when you go through trials and hardship, right? Uh, when you go through trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect, and complete, lacking in nothing. Why is it that when he talks about trials and sufferings in chapter 5, he says to pray, but in chapter 1, he talks about uh, being steadfast, to be able to be made complete. What he is addressing is what often uh, Paul does in his letters, what Peter does in his letters. It's a flurry of thoughts. And often in these letters, you see them talking about Prayer, what's he saying? He's saying that the Christian life is not meant to be done on your own strength, that you can only do this life by prayer. And so, the whole idea of to be able to endure in the challenge, in the trials, uh, James is saying, Yes, endure, but at the end of it, he's saying, When you suffer, pray. Because it's one thing to endure on your own strength. That's a whole nother game to be able to endure through what God gives you as you pray. So he's showing us, why do we pray? Because this Christian life is not meant to be done on your own strength. And so when you think about uh, James 1, 2-4, you would be thinking about, okay, if I'm praying through this, you'd be praying, Father, help me, help me to be steadfast. Father, in this hardship, God, help me to stay in the fire. That's what you would be praying. God, help me to stay in the fire. Help me to persevere. Help me so that I would be made complete. That's what you would be praying. And so James is showing you that everything that he's he's, uh, said to you thus far, you cannot do it on your own strength. You want to tame your tongue? Try to do it on your own strength. When you are... Uh, going through hardship and God calls you to be patient through it, try to do it on your own strength. You cannot, and so he says, pray. When Christian life gets hard, you are not meant to do it on your own strength. Prayer is how you live out the Christian faith. There is no other way. You cannot do it by personal grit, by personal resolve. You know, in verse 12, as it begins this section... He starts it off by saying, but above all. Do you see it in verse 12? But above all. And it seems like this thought that's, that doesn't really flow. My brothers do not swear, either by heaven or by earth, or by any other oath. But let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. In the passage before, he's talking about uh, patience in the midst of challenges and suffering. In the passage that we're studying today, he's talking about prayer. Where does this, uh, how does this fit? He says, above all. My brothers, do not swear. What he's getting at is, in these challenging times, as you uh, struggle in this Christian faith, he's saying, don't make oaths about how you will finish the race. Don't swear to God saying, okay, I swear to God this time around, I'm not going to commit that sin. God, this time I promise to you on your name that I'm going to be able to be faithful. He's saying, don't make those kind of oaths, but let your yes be yes, your no be no. Simply pray to the Lord. The whole idea is you don't do this Christian life by personal resolve, right? Personal resolve is doing the Christian life on your own strength. It's what we've been talking about, practical atheism. Prayer is the fruit of faith. If you were to ask James, James, how do I know I have faith? He would talk about a lot of the things he wrote in this letter, that you would control what you say. right? You would not just be a hearer of the word, you'd be a doer of the word. How do you know that you have faith? You can actually see it by how you live. But one of the things that James would say is that you can tell that you have faith if you pray. Because if you think about it, it just makes sense, does it not? Why is it as Christians we wouldn't pray? Because we don't even think about God. See, see, practical Christianity, it's connecting these dots. If you believe in the Lord, that He is good and He is faithful, you connect the dots, James would say, "Why would you not pray?" You see, you don't live this Christian life on personal resolve. You do it in prayer. It's showing you. That's, that's the role of prayer in your. Why do you pray? Because you cannot do this Christian life on your own. It continues on, right? talking, about, uh, talking about how you respond in different circumstances. So first, in challenging times, in suffering times, you should pray as an individual. You should pray. Learn to establish your heart on the Lord and his ways. And then he says, is anyone cheerful? He responds by saying, let him sing. Let him sing praises. And again, you would think he would say, let him pray. But he changes it. If you're suffering, let him pray. If you're cheerful, if you're blessed, if you're happy, he says, let him Sing. Let him sing praise. And that word is literally to make music. It's literally to pluck a strings on an instrument, to strum a guitar, whatever it would be. It's to literally make music. It's to sing. And you have to wonder, why is James doing this? Again, he's a practitioner. Can you stop and, and pause and simply thank God when you're cheerful? Yes, absolutely. You can, you can pray it but he's challenging you, encouraging you, because he's practical, don't just say it, sing it. Because what happens when you pause and you sing? Well, you have to slow down. You're now sitting in the Lord's presence. Your, your mind and not also your affections are fixed on Christ. What it's doing is it's, it's allowing you To enjoy God in the good times. You see, when you only go to God in the bad times, then you miss God in the good times. And you think about that. Often, we have no uh, challenge praying when it's hard. When it's hard, it's almost our natural uh, reaction. It It may not be the first response, but in time, as you're broken down, as you're weary, you pray but then what James is saying is when you're cheerful when you're happy you have to allow God and his goodness and his grace and his wisdom you have to experience that because if you only go to God in the bad times you start to think about God only in the bad times and then you start to question God how come nothing good happens to me because what's happening you're missing God in the good times and so in the good times If you're in a season of being blessed, maybe financially you're comfortable, maybe for the first time, the idea is to pause. Not just to thank God with words, but turn your mind and your heart and your affections to him. Sing to him. And the idea is let your heart experience the goodness of God. Teach your heart, allow your heart to experience him. That's why we pray. We pray because we can't do this Christian life on our own. And we sing to enjoy God's presence. And then he talks about not just uh, why we pray. He he shows us now how to pray and how to pray effectively. And this has been a challenging word for me as I've been preparing. Uh, I'm not sure how you feel about prayer. Prayer is challenging for me. Not to pray, but prayer is challenging for me in terms of as I wonder, God, do you hear? God, is my prayer effective? And that's what James addresses, him being the practitioner. He's showing us this is how you pray effectively because it's a spiritual act. You can't tangibly gauge, is your prayer effective? So he teaches us how to pray effectively. In verse 14, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Again, James changes what you expect as your response. If you suffer, pray. If you are cheerful, sing. Okay, that was unexpected. If you're sick, it doesn't say pray, does it? It says, if you're sick, call the elders of the church and let them pray over you, anointing you with oil. And that word, uh, sick, literally means to be weak. Throughout the New Testament, that word is translated in various ways, whether it's mental weakness, a mental limitation, whether it's a spiritual condition. Whether it's your physical appearance being weak and not really having much to show, it's got a multitude of ways of how it's translated. But one of the main ways it is translated is in the Gospels, a physical sickness. What James is saying is, if you are sick, not just physically sick, but if you are even mentally sick or emotionally sick, maybe you've been struggling with depression, struggling with anxiety. The idea is that you can be sick, and therefore the second time it uses the word in verse 15, sick, it literally means to be weary. The idea is you could be physically ill, but as you stay ill, your spirit dwindles. It's feeble, becomes weary. That's the idea of it. What this is teaching us, and it's so important for you to understand. It's teaching us the importance of a a community of faith in your prayer life. And some of you, you may have never thought about the importance of a community for your own healing. You may be thinking, okay, I need to be faithful. I need to pray. I need to be, I, I need to stay close to the Lord. But James, the practitioner, Obviously, are those things wrong? No. But the practitioner, he's saying, when you're really sick and your spirit is low, call the elders of the church, the pastors of the church, and have them come, anoint you with oil, and pray over you. This is showing us there will be times where we need to borrow others' faith. There's going to be times in your life when you are questioning, when you have doubts, you've prayed and you prayed and you don't see the Lord answering. And it's going to be in that time. The idea is the Bible calls for you to ask, to ask for this help. You see, how do we pray effectively? We have to be willing to request prayer. We see this even later on in, in the end of this chapter right? In verses 19 and 20, read it with me. It says, my brothers, if any, um, anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, right? The same idea, the importance of this community. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from, uh, from death and he will cover a multitude of sins. Again, it seems like it's out of nowhere, Because if you don't understand, this whole passage is written to a community. The idea is there's times when you are struggling and you need to, in one sense, borrow the faith of others to be able to to receive prayer. So it continues on then in verse 15. Uh, The prayer of the faith will save the one who is sick. It's the idea of not just having the willingness to request prayer, but now also in the church, We, we must have the willingness to intercede in prayer. Right? What if the church had a, had a people willing to ask for prayer, but there's no one willing to intercede? And the idea is this is a faith community. Yes, it matters that you are faithful. But church, it matters that we're in it together. Just even this past week, we had an informal a membership class, and that was the whole idea. You don't have to be a member to attend the church, but why do you do it? It's to make that effort to say, this will be my church, my community. I will love this community. I will be there for this community. Because our natural tendency is to be selfish, even within church. I will do church at my own time, in my own way, in my, with my own comforts. And the challenge here is when someone is in need, the church comes together and we love them and we pray for them. We have to be willing to intercede. And who is the one that's interceding? In this, it's the elders of the church. Who are the elders of the church? You see it throughout in Timothy and Titus. It's these offices that the church has elders aren't chosen because they're rich elders aren't chosen because they have leadership gifts elders aren't chosen even because of their theological knowledge elders are chosen because they've shown that they love the church and they want to care and shepherd the church that's why the elders are being called in here because these are the men who've been given that opportunity the privilege to care for a congregation And in this it says, a prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. Meaning, as you pray, you should believe, you should have faith, right? It is true that prayers of faith heal. But I also want to make note of this. The opposite is not true. And it's really important to to make note of this. The opposite is not true. Because you are not healed, you did not have faith. James writes, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. He's saying when you pray in faith, it's that kind of prayer that heals. But it's also very important to make note, the opposite is not true. If you are not healed, it did not mean you did not have faith. Why is this so important to note? Because you, or you may know of someone, who have been hurt by the church because someone said this when you were in a time of being, being weary. And you were asking the church for prayer. And someone may have told you, you know, the reason your child is not healed, the reason your mom is not healed, the reason you aren't healed, it's because you lack faith. And they may refer to this passage. You see, it's a prayer of faith that heals. See, your child or your mom or you, you're not healed because you did not have faith. But that does not work. Do you know why that does not work? The prayer of faith here is not a reference to the one who was sick. The prayer of faith here is a reference to the elders. And so if someone has come up to you or someone comes up to you in the future and you share of, of, of your need of your your mom or, or your child being sick or you being sick, and they say, oh, it's because you don't have faith. You could simply respond to them and say, no, 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 it's because you did not have faith, right? That's what it's saying. There's times in your faith, in your faith journey, where you do doubt, you do struggle, and so you depend on the faith community. Please pray for me. I'm sick. I know of a family at our church, and I've asked uh, for for, uh, uh, permission of them uh, in the past to be able to share this this with the church, where they had a child uh, who was born with a condition. And that's hard as a parent, right? Because you don't want your child to have any complications. And it was that church that said, the reason that your child has this condition is because you lacked faith. Imagine hearing that as a mom, as a dad, and you've endeavored and labored in prayer. I know of a pastor. They believed in this whole idea of, well, if you just have enough faith, God will heal. And his wife had uh, pregnancy complications. So they fasted and they prayed because they wanted to pray with this kind of faith. And they were sure that God would heal. Later, the wife ends up having a miscarriage. Their faith is devastated. Their church is devastated. Because they thought, well, if you only are certain and you have that kind of faith, surely God will answer that. But if you notice the wording here, what does it say? It it says that in um, the previous verse, right? When you anoint in the name of the Lord. But before we even get into that, we know over, uh, over and over in Scripture, we see people who are sick, who do pray, and it's not because of their sin or their own faults. Right? Job is one of them. Right? Over and over, that whole book is about him saying he is innocent, and we know the backstory. He is innocent, but his friends continue to say, no, it is because of your sin. We know this in, with Paul in Titus 3.20. He leaves Trophimus. He leaves him sick in Miletus. The whole idea is he has prayed for Trophimus, but God did not answer. Paul himself, he asked for this this, uh, thorn to be taken away from his side three times. Meaning, okay, maybe one time he didn't have a prayer of faith, but the idea is he's prayed over and over. And Paul, who writes most of the New Testament, Could he be charged of lacking faith? You see, the whole idea is there are times, many times I would say, that you do pray for healing, but you do not see the Lord work. But at the same time, you see, again, the opposite is true. Prayers of faith do heal, not even of the person who is sick. Prayers of others who are interceding for them, those prayers are also effective. Many of you know the story of Mark. In Mark uh, to uh, the story of the paralytic, that is. Right? The story of the paralytic is, it's a, it's a man who is unable to walk. He is unable to go to the Lord. And so it says friends that carry him on top of the roof, open up the roof and lower him down. And what does it say in Mark 2:5? When Jesus saw whose faith? faith? Their faith. He says to the paralytic, because of their faith, right? Son, your sins are forgiven. This is the church community. This is the faith community. This is a passage that I thought I understood until I studied it in depth this week. And I was, I've been challenged because I've been recognizing there's an aspect of this that we need to do better in. Uh, a professor of mine shares a story about a learning about this passage. And uh, he had a friend who had a viral infection in his heart. Uh, my pastor, uh, Daniel Doriani, um, as he's studying this passage, and he sees this friend, and he, he describes his friend as listless, uh, gray, and lifeless. He approaches his friend, and he says, you know, I've been studying James 5, and he asks him, would you be open if the elders of our church came to you and prayed? over you and anointed you with oil. And so he thinks about it for two weeks and get back, gets back to Daniel. And he says, okay, let's do it. And so Daniel approaches now his session, his elder board, and says, uh, I've been studying James 5, and I think this is what we as a church should do. And so as he, he jokes around saying, well, like good Presbyterians, what do they do? They decide to study it. So they studied James 5 for about six weeks. And uh, by God's grace, this, uh, this friend, this brother of his, does not, you know, die in this season. And in, in six weeks, the elders of the, of, the, of the church study James 5. And they come to the conclusion, this is what a church should do. We should be practicing this. And so they go over uh, to, to pray over uh, this brother who has this uh, viral heart condition. As they're praying, he says, they lay hands, they anoint him with oil. And then he says, he experiences something that he's never experienced. He says something along the lines of, there were bolts of pulsing fire that was, cur- that was uh, flowing through him. So as he was praying, he started to sense something supernatural being done. And he knew in his heart of hearts that God was healing him. But like a conservative Presbyterian, didn't say anything because he didn't know what was going on. He was, he was worried and scared and he couldn't understand. As, he, as they uh, pray for him, he closes in prayer. They all leave. Four days later, later Daniel sees uh, this, uh, this friend um, at a church event. And he goes up to Daniel. He says, Dan, watch this. And he runs up this flight of stairs. And so Daniel follows him up this flight of stairs. He says, isn't that amazing? Because there's no way he could have done that before. He's this big guy. He couldn't have run up this flight of stairs. He says, "Isn't, isn't this amazing? He says, Dan, God healed me. And Dan replies, I knew it. I knew it. As I study this passage, I recognize this is something that we want to encourage within our church. I asked a couple of other friends of mine, is this a practice that you do? Because it was never a practice that I've seen in, in, in my churches. And so as I, was reading past, as I was reading and studying this passage, but also recognizing that the, the discrepancy of what this passage says and, and how my churches have done it, I recognize, well, this seems to, I I, I feel like I'm the weird one, right? And so I asked a couple of other friends of mine who come from healthy churches, who are pastoring healthy churches, and they shared the same thing. This is what they do. One friend shares, just recently, a woman was intubated. So the elders came, prayed. She woke up the next day, was completely fine. The doctors were shocked. Another friend says, there was a cancer patient recently. They went, they prayed, the next day uh, they got a a scan um, of the thyroid glands and there was no trace of cancer. And it's a sense for us to be able to obey the Lord, to trust in Him and His ways. Should you pray for yourself when you're sick? Yes. Should others pray for you when you're sick? Yes. But in certain cases, when you are weak, you are weary, that AD is call the pastors, the elders of the church to pray for you. See, you have to have the willingness to pray, to ask for prayer. The church has, has the willingness to intercede, on, uh, intercede in prayer. But also the third thing that we see in terms of uh, effective prayer is we have to have a willingness to trust the Lord in prayer. Right? It says, as I mentioned, as you anoint him, it says to anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. Do you see that? It says, in the name of the Lord. What does this mean? Uh, Oil was used in many different ways, and one of them was medicinal. And it's clear in Scripture that it does not negate medicinal use. Uh, We see uh, Luke, who is a physician, um, testifying of God. Uh, We see the Good Samaritan story of how he attended the wounds of the sick with oil. Right, we see uh, Paul telling Timothy to drink a little wine for his stomach problems. There was a way in which you would treat stomach conditions back in that time. And so it is not, this passage is not saying that when you are sick, you shouldn't address or get uh, a doctor or medicine. It's, it's saying you should. But also it doesn't, it doesn't uh, minimize us to simply physical creatures. But also, it shows us what? That we're spiritual creatures. And so, to anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. What this, and there's several ways to interpret this. Catholics will see this as a sacrament, that there's actually an anointed oil that you can pour on, and there's a power in the oil. But it's pretty clear in this passage the power is not in the oil, it's the power of the prayer of faith. So, it's prayer that has the power. So why then do we want to even anoint somebody with oil? As I study this passage, literally, uh, Pastor Shin asks me uh, uh, on Thursday as we're preparing the Bible study, he says, well, what if one of our church members wanted to anoint somebody with oil? What would you do? I said, well, I think I would allow it, but I guess I would want to understand the heart of it. But in studying it more, I came to the conclusion, if it's merely symbolic, Why even include it? What is this idea? The idea of anointing with oil is how in the Old Testament, priests were consecrated with oil. It's the idea of them being set apart. Does the oil actually set them apart? No. But it was a sign. It was a mark saying the priest is set apart to do other work. And that's the idea. The the elders come. They anoint with oil. Saying what? This person belongs to Christ. This person belongs to Christ. But not only that, we're also saying, we're praying in the authority of the name of Christ. As we pray in Jesus' name, we're saying, it is not even in our own righteousness, in our own efforts, it is because of Christ and His righteousness that we pray. The authority belongs to Christ. But then what we're also saying is that whatever happens, the will of God, we submit this person to the will of God. And what, that, well, and what happens? The idea is, yes, we pray for healing. But at the end of the day, we're praying in the name of the Lord, in his name. We're saying whatever the Lord desires. And that's how you can pray. Some people have asked, how do you pray for healing, but yet not not get disappointed? The idea is you pray for healing in the name of the Lord. You're trusting the Lord at the end of the day for healing. You're not praying simply for healing. You're praying for it to be done in the Lord's name. John 14, 14 said that similarly, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. It's the same idea. It's in the name of the Lord. If you ask me anything in my name, in his will, he will do it. If you pray for healing in his name, he will do it as he pleases. As you hear some of these stories of miracles, then the expectation will be, well, that every time it's going to happen, right? Pastor, uh, my professor, uh, Dan, he says he's never felt that fire again. But he does say, but there's been many times he has seen the Lord work. So even though that emotions or that experience is not there, he's seen God heal. But he also says, he's seen also other times that God doesn't heal, but somehow through it he encourages the sick. Right? The idea of lifting him up is healing, but also that spiritual sense of spiritual strength that James just talked about. And also, he says, there have been others who obviously do pass away. That's why it's so important to understand that's what anointing in the name of the Lord means. It doesn't mean that every person is healed, but it does mean that you do it in the name of the Lord, trusting His will. And this prayer of faith, then what is it? How do you then pray this prayer of faith? We understand that faith what it's like. It's not like an integer, right? Zero and one. And that you can't have anything else. But it's a mixed bag. With faith, there is unbelief, right? In, uh, in Mark 9, in one, of the, uh, one of the sermons that uh, we just went through, right? as he wants healing for his child, Jesus says, I can do all things. And the father of the child says, I believe, but help my unbelief. What is a prayer of faith? A prayer of faith is not a perfect faith. A prayer of faith is not about quality. A prayer of faith is simply about sincerity. That's it. When you pray, will there be doubts? Yes. But there is a way to faithfully doubt. And so as you pray, you pray sincerely, genuinely. Because it's not about the quantity of your faith or even the quality of your faith. It's about simply a sincere faith in Christ and who he is and what he has done. You pray and you ask for prayer. You have to be willing to ask. You have to have a church willing to pray for you. You have to be able to trust in the Lord in all things in that prayer. And then lastly, we have to have a willingness to confess our sins before prayer. It seems like it's out of nowhere, but... James has a good understanding of how we are wired, right? We're not simply physical creatures. We're not simply spiritual creatures, right? I have seen over and over, unfortunately, people getting bad counseling and advice from pastors saying, oh, don't pursue physical uh, physical remedies or go go to doctors. I know of a man who tore his ACL. His pastor told him, don't get surgery, when I shared with him I said that's bad advice. It's good. Science is a good thing. The Lord will use the doctor to heal you. I have a cousin. She was a pastor's wife. She got cancer. She didn't get treatment because she was told the Lord will heal you. You don't need to get treatment. And when I was in the sixth grade she passed away. We see this too often. He see James. He doesn't minimize the physical, but he also recognizes that we are spiritual, and he recognizes that a mental, um, a mental weakness, a spiritual weakness, can be a reason that we are struggling. So in verse 16, he says, "Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Right? You, when you're sick, you get the elders to pray for you, but also you, when you are in sin." Have others, not simply the elders, others pray for you. The context has changed. Why does this matter? Because, as Proverbs says, a joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. The idea is if your heart is not right, and specifically if your heart is not right before the Lord, what happens? It's like your spirit dries up, right? Your bones are crushed. That's the idea. So as you confess your sins, as you live a life of integrity, as you let your yes be yes and your no be no, the whole idea is you need to have a spiritual uh, relationship with the Lord. Yes, Christ died for you 2,000 years ago and on that day he did save you but subjectively in this relationship you repent, you confess because it's an ongoing present day relationship. That's why he confess, because it's a relationship. Those are the four ways that, that, Paul, that uh, James addresses us in terms of how we need to pray. So then what happens when we pray? What happens? He gives us an illustration that leaves a mark, does it not? Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. What does James do? He shares a story of hope. He shares a story that will not just teach us in the mind, yes, pray, but it it shapes our hearts, does it not? It gives us an image of the beauty of one who is fervently praying. But notice how uh, James paints this picture of Elijah. It says, he is a man with a nature like ours. You see, prayer has extraordinary power even in the hands of the ordinary believer. Do you believe that? Prayer has, a, has extraordinary power even in the hands of the ordinary believer. Because you would think that Elijah is this super prophet. Right? It's this man who was untouchable. But if you know this story, Right uh, before this prayer for the the rain to come, he is in battle with 450 prophets. And it's in this battle he taunts them. And basically he has uh, the the prophets, it's a a spiritual competition. Who is going to burn the altar first? And so he has the, 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 the prophets of Baal do all these things and there's no fire. There's no fire brought down from heaven. And then he says, my God will show you that he is real and that he answers prayer. And so what does he do? He has them drench his altar with water. And it's when it's drenched, he says, watch this. He prays and the whole thing. Goes up in flame, and the words are literally, it's licked up. The idea is it's God personified, licking up all of the water. It seems like Elijah is this magician, right? As he prays, boom, things happen. But if you actually know the story right after this, this is the reference that James is referring to. And what Elijah actually does is he goes up on the mountain, and then he prays, and then he sends his servant to the sea. Seven times. So imagine how long that goes. It's in this time he's fervently praying. So you think, initially, Elijah, just whatever he says, boom, it happens. No, he was a man like us. He fervently wrestled in prayer. But if you know this story, what happens? It's right after this incident, the rain comes. The queen is angry at him. The queen wants to kill him. So he runs away to a cave and he's suppressed. And then you recognize this is Elijah. This is the man James was referring to. A man like us. Isn't that you? You have spiritually moments where you just feel like you're, nothing can defeat you. And then the next day you fall into a sin. You do something you thought you would never do. And the whole idea is it is not extraordinary men or women who ends up praying these crazy prayers and you see God doing these amazing things. It's very ordinary men and women praying because prayer is the extraordinary act. It's that supernatural event. As you pray to a God who is wise and good, it's Him that answers. So how could this be done at our church? Upon starting it, I do want to encourage you. If you are sick, weary, whether it's a physical illness or maybe some other, what I want you to do, what I encourage you to do is reach out to us. Let us know. Me and the pastors, the advisory group will come by and we'll pray for you. And the idea is that we will pray, trusting in God's will, for you, for healing. As I share this, there's a lot of practical challenges. Because for some of you, you're thinking, should I, should I, should I call the pastor? Is my, is my sickness warranted? Right? Am I weak enough? There's so many questions, are there not? I know even for me, I wonder, well, should I? Should I call the pastors for something of I'm going through? And I think this is something that we'll all go through together as a church. What I know of is this. How can we be confident to, to even encourage you to do this? Because it's not even by our righteousness or even by our prayers. The reason I'm confident that we should be able to do this is because I have confidence in Christ. It's Christ that came. It's Christ that lived for you, died for you, that paid the penalty for you. It's Christ that resurrects for you, rises from the dead. It's Christ that sends the Holy Spirit, deposits the Spirit in you. It's Christ that has you. Because he has you, I have every confidence that we can do this and I think at times we will see God do amazing things. And we will see physical healings. I think at other times we will see that person encouraged. Their, their, their hearts established before the Lord as we talked about last week. It's because of Christ and His righteousness and the fact that He is the righteous one interceding on behalf of you. We join with Christ's work and with Christ's prayer for you. Uh, that professor I shared about, I just want to share with one more story. He was a part of a church that started to implement this. So they would do this several times a year, going to people's homes or the hospital to, to, sp- to specifically anoint them with oil and to, and to pray for them. And then uh, his daughter is born. His daughter has this skin condition, this allergy, it's a severe rash. And so he wonders, should I call the elders to, to come and, and pray? Because he's thinking, I'm an elder, right? My prayers should be effective, no? So he wrestles back and forth. So after some time, he decides to finally pray or invite the elders to pray. Elders come, and they pray. Elders leave. They go about, go about their day. Hours pass. Uh, Daniel hears weeping from the upstairs, a faint cry. So he he listens, and is somebody crying? And he asks, is somebody crying up there? He walks up there. He sees his wife weeping, their daughter playing in the bath. And she says, this is the first time. This is the first time she's been able to take a bath and play. In four hours... She was healed, and he says that to this day, she's got beautiful skin. The rashes, the allergy never came back. My hope is that we can be a church where we hear of your struggles, and we will pray for you, we will be with you. And even if the Lord doesn't heal, we hope that in it, the Lord strengthens you. Let's pray. If you've been blessed through this ministry, Join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. Gospel City is a gospel-centered church in Seoul, South Korea, on a mission to plant Korean-speaking, healthy, gospel-centered churches. You can give by going to the website give.thegospelcity.org. Thank you for listening, and subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Remember, Jesus changes everything.